0: This podcast is exclusively created for men searching for greater ways to connect to their queen and children on a deeper level and build keystone habits that will impact and enhance their movement, mindset, spirit, lifestyle, business, and legacy. Fathers of the Future is about the power of true, authentic storytelling with one sole purpose, to build a better dad. My name is Luke Kayam, and I am a father of the future. Welcome back to the Fathers of the Future podcast. My name is Luke Kayyem, and I am a father of the future, born to lead men down a path towards personal freedom so that they may end their own suffering and live a life full of fulfillment, power, and connection. I am joined by another great friend. I don't think you can get on this show unless you're a great friend or eventually you become a great
1: friend, but... Bob Vasugi, welcome, my brother. Thank you, Luke Kayam. I appreciate speaking with you and sharing your great work.
0: I, I appreciate you, man. We're going to get right into it in this
1: conversation
0: around volunteer work, fundraising. For a lot of people, myself included, I'm not personally or emotionally attached to any of the organizations that I've been a part of from Arizona baseball charities to St. Jude's, it means something to me, therefore I do it, and it makes me feel good, and I know that I'm, I'm giving back. But for you and the work that you do, it's much
1: different. Yes, it sure is. Uh, I, I remember one of the first experience I had with fundraising was when I lost my dad at a very young age to, to brain cancer and i was at the time going away to college and getting uh, a master's degree in sports management and all of our my colleagues and students were doing different research projects their theses were on a lot of different areas from analytics to even back then this was 18 20 years ago they were they were doing some deep level, deep level dives where I was, my biggest goal was to create a fundraiser at that time to benefit uh, folks that are affected by cancer because it had hit my home uh, two times with my mom and my dad. And I created a tennis event, which was a pro-am tennis fundraiser was my whole thesis project. And I really just got knee deep into that. And that became my purpose was how do I help people and how do i help families and it started at a very young age i mean i was mid-20s when i went through my my grad school program and was lost my dad i was only 17 so pretty young age i couldn't imagine that uh today with my kids so it's been a huge part of my life since i was you know a teenager
0: and before we get into what you've created with your own family and your legacy, and specifically with your daughter.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your relationship
0: like with your father during those 17 years?
1: Uh, he was everything for, for me. Uh, he would go to every single tennis tournament I was at. Um, he would feed me balls at five in the morning, uh, even when he had stage as late as you can be with still being functional. With I mean, he had very limited mobility with his feet, but he would stay out there in the cold, which was very tough on his body uh, with the, the cancer he had, um, but he would feed me balls and go to my matches. And I knew when when kind of sort of toward the end, end of his journey, the sun was off because he wasn't at any of my matches anymore, nor did he ask how I was doing because I think it was a very tough time for him. And looking back at it now, it makes all the sense in the world. But we had an amazing, amazing uh, life with him. And I think about him every day at some point. And uh, I know that, you know, I I looked through him with my son and daughter big time. They ask questions about him all the time.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. This morning, my daughter was asking me is we're packing for a family vacation to Maui here. And uh, I've literally helping her pack her suitcase. I look to the right and I have this authentic briefcase that literally says Hobie, which was an original surf brand, 1962. Mm. And it just has a bunch of keys from my mom's life, you know, some lava lavas and some jewelry. And it just sits in my daughter's room. And I said, we should take this. We should pull it out because we've never, it's never traveled anywhere Mm -hmm. in a long time. And then, of course, that stimulates conversation. And this girl who's never met her grandma who passed away in 2004, I get to share that with her. And it's generational and it's so powerful. So you learn these life lessons, you begin to give back because you're 17 and you don't know how else to express some of this emotion. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to having children of your own Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and tell us about your, your kids and and tell us about, you know, sort of when you, you found out that your, your daughter
1: had a challenge. Sure. So my wife, Tiffany and I have, we have two children, Luca, who's eight years old and Ellie, who's 11. Um, We are very blessed with both of them, but we had a very different experience with the two kids uh ellie was had a very difficult my wife had a very difficult pregnancy with ellie she was we didn't know if we were going to even be able to have her early on she had some severe hemorrhaging going on and a lot of blood loss and it was a real miracle that she was was born to be honest with you we went through they thought they were going to have to deliver her at 22 weeks at 30 weeks and my wife Resolved all the way to 36 weeks. And we had a real tiny baby. She was only four pounds uh, and a few ounces. And but when she came out, she came out screaming. And usually for a father, that's the best sign. They're coming to you and they're <clears throat> you're so excited. And we were excited, obviously. Your firstborn, being a daughter, you just want to protect and, and help them any way you can. But she really didn't stop crying for for countless years and days and we knew there was something wrong because um at six weeks we just she couldn't stop crying at eight weeks she couldn't stop i mean the days just ran simultaneously and we didn't know what to do so we started um my wife did a great job of starting to under try to understand what what ellie was going through so we went through countless pediatricians that just told us she's going to grow out of this condition. And they told us she had sensory processing disorder. Um, they told us she could have um, autism. They told us she could have Asperger. So we were, our minds were going a million miles an hour. And one thing that I remember at a very young age, Ellie was maybe five at this time, was the first. one of the first people I called was was nausea and i just said hey i want to let you know what's what's going on with us and the six fit sick fit community was just such a big part of my life back then and she started a whole week of sensory awareness at the gym and raised we raised a few thousand dollars but she was one of the first people i talked to about this because i didn't know any other way to help my daughter but to do it in a way to help myself, which was expressing some of the pain we were going through with her and what she was facing, and you know, fast forward to today, you know, we've 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 been able to really impact a, a very niche community that was hopeless like we were, truly hopeless. We didn't know what to do at one stage and started connecting some dots, and you know, it's it, it's still a very it's, at times it's a very emotional experience for us, you know, speaking back to you're asking when this all started. And it's got to put a
0: lot of pressure on, on the marriage as well. I, I could only imagine, you know, there's pressure already when you know you're just having kids and then you add some type of physical, mental, emotional challenge that you're unaware of because the doctor's, incorrectly diagnosed in, in some ways mm-hmm. and then eventually how did you have this revelation of oh yeah that's it it is
1: sensory disorder you know i think it was because of just the all of the classifications that that she was falling into she was always in a fight or flight mode so just imagine every transition your child has to get ready for school between ages three and eight that every movement whether it be her her, the tags on her shirt didn't fit she she to this day doesn't wear jeans I've seen her wear maybe two pairs of jeans in her life so these are real real issues she would when she was three and a half she couldn't go on the beach she said it felt like glass usually for us that feels the sand is the most amazing feeling um the only thing that would calm our daughter down was was the water because the the way you go in an ocean or a pool those it it really does calm these kids down that have severe sensory issues Um, our daughter was always her biggest coping mechanism was crying so no matter it would be getting dressed or going to going to my brother's house for dinner or going to see my mom any thing that she didn't want to do or didn't know about well in advance was a massive meltdown that I think the longest one we had was about four and a half hours straight, and you know it was just that this poor kid's there's the brain body connection is not there, and as as she's gotten older, she recognizes it and will get her remove herself from certain situations. And like I mentioned, to start with, our daughter's 11. She's been to five schools. That's a lot, you know, for, for an 11-year-old to be in five different situations because of you. we have had to find the right circumstance and the right, not circumstance, but the right environment for her to succeed. Because between years one and three, grades one and three, um, she struggled mightily in staying in her seat. She couldn't do it. So we had to find a school that could tolerate this and help like almost have drifters where they can walk around, move around when they need to. And we've learned, I think, way too much about this condition. But I also am so supportive of anyone that goes through this. So now my biggest goal in life is to help people see the light and to to get the right help in, in Arizona and beyond and
0: how did starry night come to be just a few weeks ago my wife and i and several people that we're friends with were just about a mile from here at the annual gala mm-hmm. and it was it was tremendous seeing it now 7 years so, later how how did it start and um how much involvement have you had not just in that organization
1: but with sensory disorder sure. and processing so <clears throat> we started this, like you've mentioned, seven years ago at Ganey Ranch Golf Club. We had 80 people. (laughs) You know, you fast forward it now, seven years later, we've impacted almost 200 families from Arizona. We've raised north of $1.5 million. And like you mentioned, it's about the community. So we've had so many supportive people come to this event. Originally, because they're friends of mine or my wife and or people that might have might know about what sensory processing disorder is. And it's now turned into a, a real big um, community of people that are there to support kids and families that are going through this epidemic. Uh, there is no cure for this. There is only a management um, how do you manage this disorder and how can you help your kids when they're going through kindergarten, first grade, second grade through the system? Because a lot of time these kids are misdiagnosed and are labeled the trouble kids or the kids that have ADD or ADHD or stigmas that are not factual. Uh, These kids are just, they need a little more direction at times and they need to have the right environment in place to get that. Um, so Starry Night has just been the vehicle now where we can impact people. Um, we started this, like I said, with 80 people. This last year, we had 310 guests, including your lovely your lovely wife, who's a big part of our committee. We have seven to eight amazing individuals that volunteer their time and energy to help raise funds, to raise the bar that night, and to most, most importantly, raise money for this so that we can help Arizona families do something about it. Um, I'm so proud last year, we launched our first Arizona summer camp, had 15 families from Arizona that were directly impacted just on 50th and Shea. So we're doing something to encourage so many, so many individuals and so many families that there's hope here. And tell us about this management,
0: right? It's really just understanding what this is and then getting everybody to find a path to not have to go through some of the stressful situations. Absolutely. Uh, And and removing tags is one of them, but tell us a, a few of the things that you've removed. And and tell us, really, now, your daughter being 11, you said that she was in her first tennis tournament this last week. Mm-hmm, Let's talk about progression. <laughs> well, walk us through that timeline of, of not only your own journey with your daughter, but what a lot of this money goes towards in helping teach the families.
1: You know, Luke, you said it so perfectly right, right there. Um, what I see more than anything right now is families that... Don't have a team in place. this this whole epidemic involves a team. So what does that mean? That means you got to find a right doctor that that understands what sensory processing disorder is. Then you got to find the right occupational therapist that knows how to to work with your daughter or your son. Then, in our case, we had to have a speech therapist because our daughter was speech delayed. Then you got to have someone that works with her dyspraxia because if you would have saw the pictures, of our daughters in the videos, when she was five, you would have thought, I guarantee you, she could not have passed a sobriety test um, at that age because she couldn't walk a straight line. Wow! So what I try to do is put together the resources to find a team for each family that we we serve. Um, In the past year, we've made so many amazing local community uh, partners. Uh, We had Joe and Sarah Gentry at our event. They run the Gentry Foundation that specifically works with kids that have neurological differences in their brain. We call it autism. We call it sensory issues, but they help these families and they're right in Arizona. We, we built a great relationship with the Cortica uh, Care Organization that's based in the Bay Area and in San Diego. So we're We're doing amazing research projects with them. We're doing scholarship programs with them in in the California-based system. And then we're doing great work thanks to the great partners I've created with the STAR Center in Denver, where we're getting the STAR model, which is a highly intensive program where they come to Arizona now and they're doing one-on-one, five-on-one, group therapy, social skills. These kids are often they get to be socially awkward because of the self-esteem issues they were labeled at a young age. So my biggest thing is trying to build hope and, and encouragement to these families, not to get them labeled at such a young age. So they go, they get the right help and resources. The other thing is there's resources now in town. If you do it the right way, if you get your individual education, program, individualized education program through the school system. So you get extra resources. You know, in our case, Ellie gets to get, she goes to a special resource center and gets 30 extra minutes to take tests in a quiet environment. These are things we, we had to push for. They wouldn't give it to us unless we were the advocates for her. And this is what I share with so many uh, of, the, of the friends and families that I work with now is you've got to become the biggest advocate and you got to push push these push every every button there is to make sure that happens you shared a story with me a couple of weeks back when we got together
0: uh, that I, I either do not recall or i i don't know if i ever got the entire thing but it was how you found yourself like a lot of our guests in our gym and uh, as an early adopter of of the crossfit movement we opened and established CrossFit Scottsdale back in 2008. And a lot of people in both of our lives are, are still a significant part of our journey Absolutely. because of that. Why, in your own words, telling the story of why you would even search for a gym mm-hmm. like that?
1: Well, first of all, you and you and Naj were, um, at the time of my life when I found you guys were, just uh it was from from god and from a different place for me to find you guys because it was a true sense of community i had in uh in the spring of '09, i was um i had a terrible experience after doing pat's run where i was with a group of people and literally um before i knew it i was unconscious i got i, I got blindsided uh, by this gentleman that was was inebriated and um, had a massive concussion brain bleeding and was really really in a bad spot for about six to eight months where the only people I trusted were my brother my mom and my dogs and (laughs) i wouldn't even do anything if they weren't around me there was a massive ptsd that i that i had and and all i remember after that journey was learning self-defense so i got into boxing and was at a boxing gym for about six months two days a week um training and just didn't want to ever be so so um helpless like i was that that April after April morning, but and then I googled CrossFit and lo, lo and behold, I find Naj and Luke and this community of people. And like you said, I didn't even—I've never even shared the story with you till a couple of weeks ago. But that—that that timing of finding your your box and the supportiveness of that box and just the friends—I mean. Out of our event last week, there was fifteen guests that were all from our community. There, it was a true community. We would push ourselves to no end, but we would laugh about it. We would go and 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 get a drink at you know a, a drink on a Friday night with this group. We've formed formed unbelievable friendships, and we just want to all help one another out. We're all somehow seem like we're all entrepreneurs at, 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 at its core, and. I love referring people to you and vice versa. And, and that community that, you know, what you and your wife did without even knowing was you, you rehabilitated me in something that, um, took me a long time, probably five or six years, um, to really get through a lot of that stuff. But I remember every day when I would go into that box smiling and I would be seeing people with just that were so amazing, but also so humble and they would push you to no end. So I am, uh, forever indebted to, to you guys for finding your, your gym. And, and I think about it every time I do a Murph or I do a, a long run or I do so many burpees. Um, and I've definitely, um, am blessed that, uh, to have found you guys it was just it was so the timing couldn't have been better
0: it's a powerful story when you can turn pain uh, into purpose and you've already shared that now twice on on this first 20 minutes here of what you experienced with your daughter at birth and turning that into something so powerful and something you're so passionate about but going back before that, to have something uh, as dramatic and painful as getting sucker punched at a bar after running Pat's Run, to wake up and have you know not just six to eight months of PTSD, but years uh, of trauma that you've you know com- completely absorbed and then released. That's right. It's extremely extremely powerful to hear that. As you begin to look at what's next. Mm-hmm. in in your journey as a father mm-hmm. and you know being the key ingredient to Starry Night. And although it started because of your daughter, you know, without you it, it wouldn't be possible. You've already shared that you guys have raised over uh one and a half million dollars in these seven years. What does the future look
1: like for you and Starry Night? You know, we're really excited. Um we're we're launching uh, Arizona-based foundation because of this work. Um, the biggest thing that we want to do is keep hundred percent of the proceeds in town. Um, I think the, the other thing is we want to keep raising the bar every year, make it a fun event. Um, and also something people look, look to, we don't, we don't try to make it a, a, you're going to cry and, and, (laughs) and shed a bunch of tears but we want you to give you give you a perspective of what it is to be one of our one of the families that go through this this challenge but we also want you to really enjoy your evening and make it fun i mean um you see that it's a it's a we we this year we had music and live entertainment and we had an unbelievable raw emotional story from a from a dad just like me and you that that had some some challenges and passions and created a purpose out of his son's diagnosis with, with autism. So my whole thing is paying it forward. So since the event on October 12th, I've received 10 different phone calls from families to help. And one just recently was from my neighbor and him and his wife, uh, were their pediatrician um, said, we think your son might have autism. And immediately he reached out to me. And to me, that, that is such a, you talked about passion and purpose, that's it. Where people can look to me to help them in a very immediate, uh, challenging situation. That to, me, that to me means that we're doing all the right things here for this event. It's, it's not self-serving. It's not meant to be self-serving. It's most, to me, to me it's meant to be selfless and to give back. And I think that's what we're, we're trying to just keep that bar going North.
0: Yeah. Big shout out to all of the former sick fitters out there who have been a big part of starry night. Mike Fisher, Dustin Anderson, Grant Garlock, Laura, lucky Ron McClendon, John Merandita, John Merendino, Oliver Baggio and Ashley. We wouldn't be here today without all of your support. And these people continue to support. You talk about the term community and how it's so important that you're surrounded by good people. Connection is key for for men like you and me. And a lot of the men listening, if you're trying to do this alone, it's gonna be a whole lot harder than surrounding yourself with great people. And if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. If you're (laughs) the strongest guy in the gym, you're in the wrong gym does this go back to what some of the lessons are that your dad shared with you? Because I learned connection from being the anti and and realizing that this is way too heavy and dark to do it alone. And that the more that I opened myself up the more that I understood humility and vulnerability, the greater my sort of network has grown. And, um, uh, how did you learn this connection? Because you are surrounded by some very, very great people. Well,
1: first of all, what a great way to frame this with the, the the connection piece and and vulnerability. Those are the two things that I believe in more most more than anything in this world is is how do I build a relationship? How am I real and genuine? And how, how do I expand them? And it all stems from like you had mentioned. You know, what did your dad teach you? My dad was a him and my mom came to the States in the early 80s from Iran, their Middle Eastern background. They knew nobody. Um, they went to Texas Tech. S- my dad went to Texas Tech and SMU. And he knew, he had to learn English. He had to learn how to make money. He had to learn all these things. But you know what he was? Everyone, he was everyone's go-to. He would find anyone a job, he would help connect people with he I always share this. My purpose in life is how do you connect good with good? And that's how I learned all that from my dad. he would he would forgive everyone. he wouldn't he wasn't the elephant in the room that re- remembered bad stories. Um, he just wanted to help people. He was the the brother that was always uh, trying to help family challenges. He was the one that all his siblings would go to. And he was the one that was the calm behind the storm, you know, but he was also the most giving person that you'd ever meet. And he was always trying to help someone get wherever they wanted to get to, even if it delayed his progress. And there's many things I learned from him that were good, but there was also things that I learned from him that have have made me build relationships, but build the right ones as well because i I don't want to be around takers, I want to build myself around givers and 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 people that are looking for the good like you provide luke with with your your platforms, whether it be podcasts, whether it be your your coaching, whether it be your private coaching, whether it be your spiritual side, whether it be your two day crucibles, whether it be. Um, you're one-on-one. I mean, you're, I, I, I don't say this lightly. You're one of the easiest people in the world to talk to about very deep stuff that you don't want to bring out. I mean, it's just like our conversation a few weeks ago, it came out organically and I give you all the credit in the world because you're, you're just a tremendous human being and and you do so much good for people.
0: I appreciate that brother. Yeah. Um, connecting good with good, man. That's, uh, I think we just titled this thing. It's pretty powerful, man. We call this part shameless self-promotion. And, (laughs) uh, you know, the first domino, right, was something that you went through and experienced at 17 with your dad. And, you know, the next domino, um, having a daughter that was born with this sensory disorder. And then the next domino, you know, getting blindsided and, you know, getting concussed. Well, a part of this journey has been the work that you've done also for other associations and helping them raise money. Sure. Tell us a little bit about that. And if there's anybody listening who, you know, so many people have great ideas about creating something good, but don't know where to start. They don't know how to put on an event. (laughs) Tell us about the work that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you, Luke. So about a year ago, we started Starry Starry Night. It's a consulting service to help nonprofits. And the one thing this all started because of Starry Night, what we just talked about seven years ago, we built a platform to help people um, understand about sensory processing disorder. But these people also go, gosh, I go to all these events. How can you help us? Um, That's how it happened. So about a year and a half ago, people started reaching out to me and say, hey, how do we work with you? How do we utilize your services. Are you willing to help us? And my answer is 97% of the time it's yes, because there's still people that think I'm a rainmaker and that's not what I am. What I am is a great connector. What I am is I'll I'll help you build processes and systems to make your event great. But what I hope I do is help you think bigger than you're thinking. A lot of us lose lose ground but as they say, You you can't see the forest through the trees. And there's too many of those people out there that look too small. They don't think that they could raise six figures at a breakfast fundraiser. They don't think they could raise a quarter million dollars at a gala. And what I try to share with them is the systems that can help you get there. And it is a system. It doesn't happen in year one. If it happens in year one, it's because you have a phenomenal Network, and you have a phenomenal organization that understands what they're doing. We're not St. Jude in what I try to do, but we do develop amazing relationships, partnerships, and systems. And in less than a year and a half, we have 12 new clients that, that range from Denver all the way to San Francisco. And because of the great people like yourselves, we're probably talking to at least one new potential client a week that we're trying to either give them direction or potentially put them with another consultant or we'll work with them. Um, I'm always willing to to talk to someone, but I also try to be very honest with them about what it all entails. It's not just a four to six week process. This is something that takes six to seven months to, to do correctly.
0: It's a, it's
1: a long game. It's a long
0: game. Yeah, I'm gonna read something that a, a client of mine, a new client of mine sent me the other day, and I thought it was pretty powerful. He, uh, he was at a, um, a luncheon or an event a few years ago with Jeff Bezos, the founder of, as we know, Amazon. And he said there were five main takeaways. Uh, be obsessed with your purpose not with what other people are doing that's the key Um, your customer focus do something in a better way for them always investing on behalf of them first be long-term oriented five to seven year time frames a fiscal quarter is developed one to two years out getting rich quickly is a popular infomercial and overnight success takes about 10 years And I think it fits really well with the type of work as anything that we start or begin, whether it be a new business or a new relationship or a new running program, we expect instantaneous results. And oftentimes we quit or we stop before the momentum even begins. Mm -hmm. It takes time to do anything great in this world. If today were your last day on earth, Mm What would you want, your people, your family, your friends, what would you want the world to know about you and what you're leaving behind, your living legacy, if you will?
1: You know, I think that's such a difficult question, but I I would say it's someone that's very, it's someone that is very true to his word, someone that is a, a giver, someone that is relationship focused and someone that was a incredible husband, father, brother, and friend, and someone that you could rely on any moment, whether things were going well or not so well. And he would take your call, your text, your email, and get back to you right away. Wasn't someone that you hadn't talked to for six years and would suddenly be dark on you if he hadn't heard from you. Just someone that is really about um, being real and authentic, no matter what the day or circumstance is.
0: Beautiful. How can the listeners get a hold of you if somebody's looking to begin and start their own journey towards charity work?
1: Uh, they can absolutely reach me via my website, which is www.starrystarrynightllc.com. They can text me at 480-291-2124, or they can just reach out to you, which is even better for me, and uh, connect us that way.
0: Connection and vulnerability. My brother, Bob, I appreciate you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Luke. You mean the world to me. For the listeners out there, if you extracted some value, if you got some nuggets, if there's just something you truly appreciated about this podcast, all we ask for in return is that you share it, send it out on text or email, share it on social media. And if you're interested in learning more about some of the programs that we've discussed or what the crucible entails, we are scheduled out through this year and into next year to be putting men through this experiential-based training that allows you to wake up on fire and win the day. Thank you for being here. We truly appreciate you, and we'll see you soon. Peace.